forever. Dog. When your first choice is a big old bus, you turn around and boom, you end up with us. Our number is 213-536-9180. Our email is sloppysecondspot at gmail.com. Now on with the show. Hi, you slobs, you stupid little fucks, you nasty little fucks, you stupid little dirty little fucks. Stay home. Don't go home for Christmas. Are you ready for some Sloppy Seconds? I'm Big Dipper and that's Meatball. Welcome to Sloppy Seconds with Big Dipper and Meatball. The long inhale you did before you started, it felt like you were uh, really prepping to like run a mile or like... I don't know. You're I'm like, fat. My lung capacity is low. It takes a lot just to talk. Do you know how fat I felt yesterday? So fat. Moving I Moving things too. in and out of my car. I was like, what? I haven't. What all I do is sit in this chair? I was That's just sitting insane. in that little school chair and I was just sweating. And I was like, it's winter. What is happening? <laughs> it's, it's too much. It's as too the, much, mama. As the children say, it's too much. It's too much. I do want to quickly talk about Home Alone. The film, okay. because we were both, and we'll explain why, but we were both recently reminded of that. Home Alone was so formative for me, and I grew up in Evanston, which is the town next to Wilmette, where that takes place, or I guess it uh-huh. takes place in Glicko. You know, it takes place in the north side of Chicago. Oh. I watched that movie so many times. Remember when the older brother says, woof? Yeah, but it's a bad thing yeah, about woof, the girlfriend. Your girlfriend, right? Yeah. But I was like, "Woof, your brother." Oh, no, <laughs> that's not. But remember thing. when uh, when we first started the podcast, I used to say "woof" is a bad thing because of that movie, and then everyone was like, "No, it's a good thing. It's a positive." Well, you know, language evolves and changes, and we have to be ready for uh, for that and uh, learn how to uh, integrate those uh, new definitions into our life. You're right, faggot. And we'll talk more about that right after this break. Okay, we are back and we are so excited to have uh, our special guest with us today. She's the winner of season five of RuPaul's Drag Race. She's a star of stage and screen. The premier Jewish narcoleptic drag queen from Seattle. It's Jinx Monsoon. Did I freeze? No, I included that intro because I had had a conversation with Jinx where she was like, that was a casual thing I said one time on Drag Race and it became my tagline. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Jinx. Hello, Jinx. Hi. Yeah, it was a, it was, you know, it was kind of my like tagline in Seattle because I needed more about me to stand out from all the other queens, I guess. <laughs> Forget the crispy wigs and the fright show makeup, but um, yeah, it's, it's so funny because that became like what everyone known me as, of course, because I said it on TV, it became reality. But I, I, you know, I haven't practiced a religion since I was like 10. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that people should necessarily be defined by their sleep disorders. So <laughs> it's so funny that nowadays it's like people are like, you're the Jewish narcoleptic drag queen. And I'm like, yeah, none of those things really come into my drag at all because <laughs> they're, not, <laughs> they're not really integral to me as a human, human being. But there you have it. Television <laughs> changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show. Yes, it's... I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. I'm such a uh, a huge admirer of both of you. Oh, oh that's <laughs> nice. Do you admire this beret that Meatball is wearing? Yeah, it's a very nice beret. <laughs> oh, yeah. we I, You both look a lot better. Than, I mean, I woke up an hour before this. You couldn't tell. I mean, <laughs> I still have this morning's. Bedhead. <laughs> if you don't know, it's a very big day for um, me and Ben de la Creme because our actually, as we began filming the recording this podcast, <laughs> listen to me transitioning in terms and in a moment's notice. You know a lot about <laughs> pop filters and gain <laughs> settings, you. so gain we, we're settings. not surprised. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
<laughs> audio loops. Um. Anyway, <laughs> uh, our our film, the Jinx and De La Holiday special, just came out today at ten a.m. Um, my time. That's so exciting. A different time all around the world. Yes, we're very excited. You can go to jinxandela.com um, to rent it. Well, I wanted to ask about this because I is this the same show as the stage show that you did at the Montalban or whatever? Oh, I'm is- so glad you asked me, Paul, because here's the thing we've been kind of noticing um, is that a lot of people assume um, when we say we have a new movie coming out that it's um, a recording of one of our stage shows or like we're releasing an archival performance of one of our stage shows. And that's really not what it is. We we took the best of our previous two touring shows um, hacked them to pieces, Frankenstein them together, um, and then wrote a whole new screenplay uh, to, to, to showcase the best moments of our last two shows. And what it became by the time we were done filming it was a, a completely new, like entirely different thing from the past shows. And what it is is a movie with a plot and a and a set and <laughs> oh, a director. More and terminology. Producers. Yeah, it's like um it's very much, uh, it's very much a movie. You know, it's about two drag queens who um, try to put on a holiday TV special, like a la Judy Garland or Pee Wee's Playhouse, and um, they just can't seem to see eye to eye on how to celebrate the holidays. And um, so, I'm, I'm really excited. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole movie that you can watch. <laughs> I'm so that excited is... to watch it. That's yeah, so interesting. That's so cool. You, how long have you and Ben been writing together? We have only been writing together um, for the last like three years, um, but we've been working together for about a decade now. And it all just started that, um, uh, you know, like 10 years ago, Dela started putting me in shows that she would write. And then, um, you know, Major Scales and I have been writing shows for years now. And we would oftentimes have Ben play cameo uh, appearances or um you know give a lot of input she's great for giving input uh, she gives she gives great input um, <laughs> anyway so we've been working alongside each other for a decade and um i I've, I've acted in many uh shows that she's written and 3 years ago um you know when we kind of both had our our holiday season open on our calendars she asked me if I wanted to do a very simple show where we just kind of improv our way through our best holiday themed numbers and kind of just sat and chatted with the audience. That was the proposal. And then a week <laughs> later, <laughs> a week later, she uh, calls me and says, actually, what if we just wrote a whole show? And And that's how it began. And it's been very interesting throughout the years because we both have written for ourselves for so long that now we've had to learn how to write for each other. And we write a lot of lines for each other and a lot of moments for each other where we kind of have to put on the other one's character. Like I'll be sitting at my computer and be like, hi, I'm Bandilla Cram. And I just want to tell you. you know, like... That's amazing. It's, that... you know, it's so, I have like a broader uh, question that uh, I don't know. I, I, it's so interesting. There's a criticism of Drag Race that it only sort of elevates and features certain queens. But then when you like look at all of the queens that have come out of the show now, which is over a hundred, and all of the winners and the people who have risen to the top and created careers for themselves, it's like everyone does such unique and interesting things. So like it's so cool that you and Ben have found like a partnership and there are so many of those partnerships. It's like Bob and Monet have found this friendship woman a lot, you know, like all of these like different pairs of people, which is so fun, but also like, I'm Ooh, curious. I need to get a partner. Do you? <laughs> 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 yeah. Fuck, fuck whatever I've been doing over here. Um, <laughs> Uh, but do you feel like, I knew you knew Ben before the show, but do you feel like that, like I don't know your your career's getting bigger fueled that partnership do you feel like you fit in with the drag race girls and the other winners I'm just curious like where you see yourself in that that place I would say like yes to all of that you know oh, <laughs> oh okay there we go um 
uh, you know, Ben and I were actually, Dayla and I were um, talking about writing a show together right before I auditioned for Drag Race. And then I ended up getting on. So we kind of had to suspend our plans. Um, and it turned out indefinitely. We had to suspend our plans indefinitely. Um, but yeah, we were about to start writing um, shows together right before Drag Race. And then our careers peeled off in the directions they peeled off into. And um, then it was, you know, 10 years later that we, <laughs> I guess not 10 at that point, that's just become my like, my talking point is like <laughs> 10 years ago. Oh, one <laughs> um, yeah, then it just kind of all synced up in the right moment at the right time for us to, to finally do something we've talked about doing for a long time. But um, I think, you know, drag is a very familial thing. You know, it takes a village to create a drag queen. Um, and there's so many people who I, I work intensely with on drag, whether they are other drag queens or, you know, my chosen family and, and, and the people on my uh, on the Jinx Monsoon team. So I never have felt like I do drag alone. Like it always uh, that was the hardest part about Drag Race was you got to go do it alone when a lot of us are used to having. Even before, you know, even before success and we could afford assistants and tour managers and whatnot, we're used to having our best friends, you know, give their input and yeah. um, kind of help us along the way. Like I've borrowed countless outfits from <laughs> countless people throughout the years before I could afford to buy my own. And <laughs> and that was the scariest thing about Drag Race was going on and not having that that safety net, that support unit. But um, because of Drag Race, you meet the other people in the world, you know, who you might not have met if you hadn't gone on the show that like share a very similar aesthetic. Um, you know, Alaska yeah. and I have become really close throughout the years and I really feel connected to her. Bob, the drag queen and I um, collaborate really, really well together. We've only done a handful of things together, mostly Peaches Christ shows. But whenever we work together, it feels like, where have you been all my life, you know? <laughs> um, so it, 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 Drag Race gave me uh, an extended drag family that um, now I, I heavily rely on, you know? Yeah. I call people to run ideas past them and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and of course, it um, introduced me to Peaches Christ, who is now my um, adopted drag mother, um, someone who I feel like... Uh, I yeah like a, a another person where it's like I feel like I've known you my whole life because we share so many of the same interests and passions as as drag artists. It's so cool when that clicks, you know. Yeah. I also <laughs> um I there's not a lot of drag queens that I consider are like fully theater and like musical theater based, you know. And not that like that's all you do, but there's not a lot of drag queens that write shows anymore. All the queens that are doing it are like kind of older. It's like kind of it's not still older. Very... Go off. No, what are you ben, into? No, over I don't here? mean to be rude, but like <laughs> it's just not something I think it's what sets you apart and makes you so incredible is because you and like Peaches Christ like are queens that are based in like putting on a show and not doing mm -hmm. a drag number for tips. It's like you're going to do a performance. Is that something that's like strictly from like being in Seattle? Is that like the type of drag that is there? Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I think, yes, drag is very regional. And I think in Seattle, um, you know, Ben de la Creme was one of the queens early on who was writing like full scripted stage shows and, and that became really successful. And, you know, Seattle came to kind of expect that from its drag performers, but Seattle has all all the types of drag you know there's the bar for the tipping queens there's you know there's i know i did a, a show at our place with all the bucking queens i was like what am i doing here what they did you do at our place lips. what did i do yeah. i oh i did my you mcdonald's did number and number? i i did a lizzo number and a mcdonald's and i threw a hamburger and it knocked someone's drink off the table onto their lap okay so Usual, so anyway usual um, antics where someone in seattle queens um do you know robbie turner What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've known. Can Robbie, we get her Rob, number? Do do you have her phone number? 
Um, we want to do I an interview with her. I don't feel at liberty to give it out, but I can. Um, I can, can reach you? out to Robbie and ask yeah. if she's interested. Because <laughs> we want to do a deep dive and find out what really happened and how she feels. I about feel like it. she was persecuted wrongly. Correct. Well, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of layers there, you know. There's yeah. a lot of layers there. Um, we, we love layers. <laughs> we, we love, love layers. Sparks. I like to peel we back love... a layer. Yeah. <laughs> I like you to like layer peel... clothes in the winter. You like to peel back more than a layer. I'll I like a seven what. layer dip. <laughs> I have what I will more... say oh, yeah. is. No, say. Oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt this ongoing no. bit you had. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I got one more. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. What I will say is Robbie was a a, a very close and very good friend to me for a long time. And, um, you know, I think the most difficult thing about overnight success, um, the most difficult thing about fame, and I can definitely attest to this myself, is that when you are someone who's struggling with certain personal issues um, and then you become, you know, successful and, and famous within our community, things that were kind of like small issues that you kind of were pushing off dealing with can become really, really big issues overnight because a lot of things can trigger and exacerbate issues. And, and it's really difficult to then deal with those things in the public eye. You know, I, um, I, it's not like I didn't have a, a tumultuous relationship with alcohol before drag race, but after Drag Race, that really got exacerbated. And for many years, I was struggling to find my balance with alcohol. And guess what? The balance is none at all. Oh, <laughs> no. Yay. Yeah, I'm Congrats. a year and a half sober now. And it's something I, I, I stopped drinking multiple times after Drag Race. And this is the time that stuck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Congratulations. Congrats. A year Thank and you. a half is like, that's like a big hump to get over. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, one of the things about being a drag queen that um, I, I I think, you know, we all kind of know it. We all kind of talk about it in ways, but you're just kind of around alcohol constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, become expected that a drag queen just loves to drink. And so once that's expected of you, then that's what people want from you. And in, yeah. in, in so many words, you know, I can't, it's a lot harder to say, Oh, I've had enough when like 18 people in the bar are trying to get you drunk with them, you know, or buying you drinks or sending you shots. And, and for someone who's figuring out their relationship to alcohol as free drinks, just keep getting sent your way. It's really hard to say, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, so I have um, one wait, more. So how has 2020 been now that you're sober? <laughs> he can shut up. How, I, just, just I have strong. one more so drag race question how? that I wanted to okay. ask. And then we can close okay. the chapter on drag race. Which is, yeah. I think a lot of people who have won have said, yeah, I won. It was amazing. But also, I hate the competition. I hate, like, the whole vibe is, like, so psycho. Would you ever go back for a winner's season? I get asked this a lot. Um, oh. and <laughs> Fuck my interview. So, no, I'm just no, yeah, so just go read about it. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I really, my mood changes back and forth about this. You know, um, the competition aspect was one of the most difficult aspects of it, you know, and, um, but I do think competition is valuable. I do think that like competition within art forms causes us to raise the bar and, and, and sometimes incites the best work out of people, you know, when, mm-hmm. when there's stakes involved. And I've believed this ever since my time at art school in college. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was also, you know, it's also a freaking mind trip. And um, uh, so I don't know. I, there are days when I say I would totally do it just for the experience and to show everyone how I've evolved since my season. And mm-hmm. there are days where I say, you know, I just, I think my time in competition, uh, competitive drag might be done. So I guess it really just depends on what day they catch me on if they ever call me for that. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. 12th. 
I don't want to say may anything or may definitively. Not <laughs> I don't want to say anything definitively because, you know, as soon as I, 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 I give a definitive statement, it becomes truth, as we um, remember with the Jewish narcoleptic drag queen. <laughs> so one thing I can commit to these days is I'm just like, I'm Jinx Monsoon and I'm a witch. And that's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who is it that calls you a swamp witch? The first time that I was- heard that... That was Trixie Mattel, and um, when Trixie called me a swamp witch, I was like, this feels half true, but then I realized that my my fan base were really into the idea of me being a swamp witch, and, <laughs> and now I'm like, I'll embrace it, you know? I, I'm really comfortable with my level of notoriety and fame, and I think... Um, I think Swamp Witch pretty much um, sums up where I am in the drag queen pantheon tier. You know? <laughs> um, why don't we take a break and then we'll come back with some more questions. Okay. <laughs> Eating better is Easy with Factors Delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. When my fridge is stocked with Factor meals, I'm like, oh baby, I don't have to think about this. Mm -hmm. Like, it is so nice. The combinations are so good. I am a meat eater, but the vegetable options, there are so many. Like, I remember I had like a, it was like a mushroom with pasta and like a cauliflower rice. And I was like, the mushroom is filling. Like, there's plenty of uh, portion, there's plenty of vegetable, and there's plenty of flavor. And I am usually sort of not a microwave person. Mm-hmm. Very cool that this quality of food can just be heated up in the microwave. And so fast. I also love it because I am a, a very much into ordering delivery. I and know. now having all the food there, I can kind of pick what I want and it's ready in two minutes. I don't have to wait an hour for stuff to get delivered. And these are way healthier options than ordering delivery. Completely. And when they have multiple things in them, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, if I cook for myself, all I'm going to eat is the biggest bowl of pasta you've ever seen in your life. But this is like, you get a little pasta and the chicken and a vegetable all in one dish. Looking for gourmet meals? Try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. And Factor Meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. All you gotta do is heat up and savor the good stuff. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause to reschedule deliveries that suit your lifestyle. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long with Factor. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu items for their lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash sloppyseconds50 and use code sloppyseconds50 to get 50% off your first box plus... 20% off your next box. That's code sloppy seconds 50 at factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's a sleigh, baby. And we're back. Thoughts? On the vocal? On the, Do you have any on thoughts the on the vocal, James? Do you need to hear Move one more over, time? Move over, Adele Dazeem, because Lupa's <laughs> on the scene. <laughs> ah! Can you? Oh, wow. Okay, so you do, in fact, know Wicked. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was one of my favorites as a teenager. Um, well, I, because I, you're a I witch. performed... Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, no, I'm. I, I've always been obsessed with all things witches, even before I started practicing the craft. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say Wicked is one of my favorite musicals, but when I performed Defying Gravity at my nightclub, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't Elphaba. <laughs> we even Did rigged you have up any a tricks? broom. Oh, oh you yeah. picked up a broom. My- 
Well, I am. Um, I painted myself green, of course, um, which a lot of queens at that time, I was like 17, 18. A lot of queens said it was the best I ever looked. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, They've been dragging you from the beginning. Why are they so mean? <laughs> oh, it's whatever. It, it helped me sharpen my claws. Um, but my favorite moment was, um, you know, at the climax of the song, I just raised my hand into the air and a friend who was holding a broom on a string rigged up to the, the rafters above lowered the broom directly down into my hand. It was theater magic. Um, at a and club? It, I love yeah. that. That's incredible. That's so good. We even had um, flying monkeys, um, which were really uh, four very attractive people, one of which was a muscle, muscle twunk. And um, he was wearing nothing but a jock strap and we painted his ass red and stuff. So we, we had all the elements for a good drag number. <laughs> she really, really went there. Me, that reminds me of the first time I did the Julia Sugarbaker monologue at Precinct. And right before my number, someone went out with like a baton on a string. I had stuff wired to fly to. But before my number, they had to go out and like set it up. So the whole gag was lost because there was someone walking out, putting something over the pole and then like bringing it backstage. And they're like, clearly it's going to happen. No, I wanted to ask you about the roast. You're one of everyone's favorite roaster on the Haters Roast tours. They you famously can talk for 45 minutes nonstop. (laughs) What is it like hearing everyone else tell the same jokes every night and you write new ones? Um. Well, drag them, take them down. <laughs> it's like any, well. it's like any, it's like any show. And, you know, we all told all the same jokes each year yeah. on tour. You know, you, you work out your set and you don't want to tamper with what works. Um, but it's like any other show, you know, you, you have to be present. You have to um, be an active listener and um, you have to give the response, you know, you're supposed to give at the moment you're supposed to give it. So it's like any other stage show where um, certain moments are just kind of rehearsed, but you you try to keep them authentic and true. Um, <laughs> but I really, I really enjoyed doing the roasts. And yes, I famously um, go on and on. And it was this, it was this ongoing, here's some tea. It was this ongoing dilemma of... Uh, <laughs> I, I felt like I was in a really tough spot because everyone in the shows from producer to every performers, I don't know what they were saying behind my back, but to my face, they were saying, wow, your set's really, really long. You should trim it down. But um, your set's also really good. So we don't know where to trim it down. Um, so if you could figure out how to trim down your set that we don't want you to trim down, that would be great. Uh, uh- and. <laughs> And it would be like this daily thing of like, I'd be like, well, I guess I can cut this part. And someone in the cast or crew would be like, no, you can't cut that part. That's the best part. And <laughs> so every day I was like, okay, I got to trim this set down. And everyone would protest my proposed cuts. And you know what happened in the end? I never trimmed it down. And I just went on and <laughs> felt my oats for my full 40 minutes. And um, so it's like, yeah, I, I mean, it's not professional to to do a 40 minute set when they've asked for a 21, uh, a 20 minute set. But then also um, you, <laughs> you don't know what it was like trying to trim down that set and having everyone tell me don't. <laughs> You're like, you don't know what it's like to be so talented and amazing that the criticisms don't line up and I just have to keep doing. No, I'm curious about those shows. Did those like. Obviously, we, you know, like they've done that, like work the world reality show. So you mm. sort of see that there's like a choreographer working with, you know, like whatever. But for the roast shows, like, is anyone directing those or the ideas they go like, OK, everyone, you're going to sit in these chairs and bring your own jokes. We start the show at seven, you know. Yeah, it was kind of like that, you know, Um we got we got a lot of feedback night to night on like what things work and what things um we should cut but um all the queens you know when there's like some really talented comedians and queens out there um we all felt the pressure to be at our a game and so a lot of us worked with writers i i always collaborate with um Nick Sahoya my comedy partner um every year on my roast material and what that normally entails is I sit down and write out all the jokes that I think are funny and then and then we comb through them together and um, workshop the ones that work and just cut the ones that don't. And 
Um, so in that sense, it's not like I hired a writer to write my jokes for me. I hired a writer to write with me. Right. Um, I feel and like gross year, jokes are really hard, right? Yeah, they're so they hard. They are. They're, um, you know, it's a very specific kind of build up and deliver, you know? Um, it's like somewhere between delivering a punchline and, and acting out a scene, I guess, because... <laughs> <laughs> everything has to be in place the perfect way so that the audience and the person being roasted feels comfortable laughing at the joke. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's an interesting challenge as we, uh, as we have more and more conversations about, you know, what it means to be alive right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and what so, it, yeah, everyone is and, adjusting and our their responsibilities. Comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Meepo, and, can um, you do a roast joke? No. <laughs> Not at all? I, um, what was one? Um, <laughs> what was one? I, I did one good one at Pickle one year, but it was written for me by, I think, Casey Lai. And it was, um, Pickle, your teeth remind me of One Direction and that they're all different colors and they're all doing their own thing now. <laughs> <laughs> that is very funny. Isn't that good? Can you do um, one? You did a good one of me at my roast. Yeah, but my my former roommate wrote it. Oh right, it was um uh uh what do me and your birth mother have in common? We both don't want you here. Something yes, like that. That was, that was the only lines of my parents not wanting me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, that's yes, the yes. thing. I feel like I feel like when people I feel like people who are meatball and I both sort of have this vibe where in conversation we can like volley and yeah. keep it going and like but when energy. i sit down to write a roast joke my mind goes blank and, and then I'm like, i this feel is like i should the hardest watch some roasts and then i'm like don't watch roasts because then you're just gonna steal those jokes you're just stealing jokes yeah so it's very impressive that someone you know that you're like oh i sit there that you're and wrote a genius a, a notebook <laughs> full of jokes and then me and my writing partner decide what works the best that's like that, i mean that is very amazing well, I mean, there were a lot of throwaways, but um, <laughs> you who are your like big inspirations for for your drag and your um, joke writing? When I'm doing a roast, I like to imagine myself as Betty Davis, even though I don't. Um, uh, some of the jokes I think I deliver like Betty Davis, um, and in my mind, I'm playing Betty Davis, even if I'm not copying her voice or mannerisms. But like, it's the idea of a um you know of someone who's so effervescent and um effortlessly glamorous and fabulous that she kind of just rambles on um sharing her thoughts and doesn't even realize they're funny you know right <laughs> that's the way i like to play my roasts um one of my favorite ways to start my set uh, is to first make fun of myself you know sure. um to 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 let every everyone know that we're all there to laugh at ourselves and um i think one of the clips that went viral is uh <laughs> viral you know like 20,000 views or whatever <laughs> um, <laughs> but um uh i would say you know some of the queens here are going to make fun of me they're going to make comments about um my size or um they're going to you know they're going to make jokes about uh, how I look now versus how I looked when I won my season. And um, that's fair because I was a lot thinner and prettier when I won Drag Race. But just remember, some of these girls have never been thin. Some of them still aren't pretty. And I'm the only winner up here. You know, that was my <laughs> favorite way to start it out, you know. And it, and it changed night to night depending who was on the dais. But... <laughs> But yeah, I just always feel like, um, you know, the people who fail on Drag Race when they do the roast challenge. I'm like, OK, so I'm just call someone ugly, call someone old, <laughs> call someone stupid. And they're like, that's not a joke. That's not funny. You're just being <laughs> the Derek Barry school of comedy. Right. Where you're just like, I'm so insecure. I'm just going to swing in a 360. <laughs> whoever goes down with me there, you know. Yeah. So um, <laughs> let's talk about this year and how you're feeling as a person in this insane thing that we're all experiencing. A newly sober person in a soul. Yeah, girl. girl. Yeah. I got to say, um, 
I was deep enough into my sobriety when the pandemic hit that I I wasn't tempted to start drinking again. Um, and thank God, because if I hadn't, if I, <laughs> if I had, you know, I, I think I was about six or seven months sober when, when quarantine began, if I had been like two weeks sober when quarantine began, this could have been the blood, death blood. of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I was really fortunate. I live with my best friend who's been my assistant since the beginning, uh, since drag race. And he's been my tour manager and he's been there for all my significant moments in my career. And he and I just kind of looked at each other as my entire gig calendar um, dissolved into ashes and (laughs) as if I use a physical calendar, as if there's a calendar on the wall that just burst into flames. Well, you are Um, a witch. You probably cast a spell. So I need to see it. (laughs) But I, uh, he and I just looked at each other and said, okay, so what are we going to do instead? And we just really didn't um, skip a beat. We, I started doing Instagram live shows. I set up a cameo. Um, uh, then I started doing like live streaming shows um, with my management team. And, uh, you know, I, w- I felt very fortunate that right away I had so many resources that I could draw upon. I had like a a really loyal, really wonderful audience base that was willing to watch me transition from live entertainment to digital entertainment because I really had kind of been um, dragging my feet (laughs) trying to get into digital entertainment. You know, I have a YouTube channel that I post to like twice a year. Um, but uh, so it's been an interesting challenge and I wasted no time just like making that shift. And at the same time, because I, I very quickly made that shift, I didn't really take a lot of time to think about how I actually felt about everything. Mm. And it wasn't until I was filming um, the movie with Ben de la Creme, um, available now at jinxandela.com. Um, jinxandela.com. I, <laughs> I had this day where I did this scene um, with Jordan Taylor, who plays the naked guy in our movie. And it was just a really rewarding acting resp- uh, uh, acting experience. You know, one of those moments where I felt like I was doing real acting work just now. And I felt something that I hadn't felt in a long time. And that was, you know, like artistic fulfillment, I guess. (laughs) Because doing digital shows, um, it's really difficult to take your live material and do it for your computer screen. And then there's not that connection and that call and response from the audience. And while I was having a lot of fun and I was really happy my audiences were enjoying it, um, it, it was lacking in the kind of like artistic fulfillment that you receive when you deliver a good performance and you can feel that energy exchange so doing that scene with another actor and even though we didn't have an audience we had each other to play off of it was like this amazing experience I hadn't realized I was missing until then and so you know 2020 has been all right it's been a hell of a year um there were so many things where I was like god if only I could have planned for this you know (laughs) (laughs) if only I had gotten some warning because honestly like the hardest thing um at the beginning of the pandemic was I had just had my hair transplant surgery you know (laughs) um I forget the technical term for it um with the way I refer to it is we moved some things from the garage into the foyer (laughs) 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 <laughs> and that's but, like um, filling in the hairline that's that's yeah the, it was yeah. it was rebuilding my hairline and you know they take the they extract hair follicles from the healthy parts of your head and and put it in the parts of your head that's affected by um genetic pattern baldness i've been thinking about and, doing um, that i think i got wig traction alopecia oh, yeah. this hair up front is just thin that stuff's real you know and and um I, I talk openly about it because I think a lot of people would um, feel more comfortable taking preventative measures or, um, 
you know, feel more comfortable looking at their options if we just destigmatized the idea yeah. of hair loss, you know? Totally. And, um, I think it's very normal. Well, when I'm over in the UK, most of the guys that I've like worked with over there have had a hair transplant. It's like pretty normal over there. They also yeah. wear wigs over there. A lot of the... the, the <laughs> Should we know. name the names of other queens that have gotten <laughs> hair transplants that are afraid to talk about it? <laughs> Will, get ready to start bleeping. No! <laughs> I don't know if these are true or not. <laughs> I don't know if any of that. Don't is be true. messy like this, Meatball. Jake you were gonna say you you wanted to plan. Oh, um, I was gonna get into the gender politics of losing your hair, but whatever. No, I'm just- <laughs> we can. You notice she said a uh, 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 genetic pattern baldness. Well, because yeah, I mean, for me as a trans femme person. Um, my my hair loss uh, was doing a number on my my psyche and my self esteem. So right. I just think you know being able to say like this affects people in this way and and doing something about it should be destigmatized. Then you know the thing that really blew my mind was when I talked to my friends about having this procedure. Um, a handful of my friends were like, yeah, well, I've been on the preventative um, hair loss drug since my early 20s, and I've been using ro- Rogaine since my mid-20s. And I'm like, what? Like, you <laughs> like never told me. Friends of mine. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that stuff actually works. I should have been doing that this whole time. Mm. So anyway, back to COVID. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had the procedure. You know, at the beginning of the year with my whole year lined out for me. So it's like I, I spent the money on this procedure thinking, you know, and then two weeks after my recovery, I'll be back on the road um, making the money I'm used to. And and then COVID hit. And so it was like this uh, this uh, this difficult moment of like being really happy. I spent the money on a procedure that's really improved my well-being and then being really disappointed that I spent a bunch of money right before the pandemic. Of course. <laughs> but that's well, the thing. Now you got that Hulu money from oh, how yeah. So what is there to be upset Let's about? Let's talk Mom? about that. So you and Dela appear in beautiful, resplendent Christmas uh, Gorgeous, and, you know. S- shout out to you for also being like you. You see these two drag queens in a mainstream film with big movie stars. Also, you can see their own special right yeah. over here at jinxandela.com. That was all kind of serendipitous, you know. Oh, sure, um, sure. I no didn't know Clea Duvall was a lesbian. News, to yeah. Me. She's a. She I- is. She's been. I've met her at one of the Peaches Christ shows. I don't think people know that she goes to like a lot of the Peaches Christ shows every time Mm -hmm. they're in LA. So I met her and I had no for a while. Yeah, I literally (laughs) said to Meatball, I was like, "Oh, and when Jinx comes on, we'll talk about Happiest Season because you know they're in the film." And uh, I knew uh, it was a lesbian film, and then you were like, "I was like, yeah, Clea Duvall directed it. She wrote it with Mary Holland." And and Meatball was like, "Why? She's not gay." I was like, like her and Mary Holland, they're not is gay. the lesbian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, how was that? Oh, it was, I mean, it was really one of those ideal Hollywood experiences because, um, you know, I, I've been uh, chatty in the past about how sometimes in Hollywood drag queens are treated more like novelty acts mm-hmm. rather than, you know, legitimate respected performers and this experience just was not like that um everyone from the cast to the crew to clea duval as the director treated us with the utmost respect and um we never felt like intruders you know we never felt like oh what are what are us two drag clowns doing here on this movie set like we really felt like a part of the cast and and like respected artists. And um, mm. it was just really a wonderful experience because Clea has been a, a a friend of mine for many years and many years. Um, <laughs> a decade, but, uh, probably 10 decade, years. But, yeah, 10 years ago. <laughs> um, no, and I, I was having dinner with Clea and her partner Mia um, one night. Stop, and really? I Clea know, and Mia? Clea and Mia is yeah. so and uh, Clea mentioned that she was uh, writing a role for me in this movie she was writing. And it was one of those moments where it's like, I didn't, I, I didn't 
fully know if it was just my friend Clea being nice or if this would actually happen. And in Hollywood, I don't consider anything a done deal until until the mm-hmm. movie comes out, you know? Of and, course. And he, even after filming, I was like, who knows? We could have been cut <laughs> yeah. from the film. Uh, <laughs> if I hadn't shoved that mic in Kristen Stewart's face, you know? <laughs> like, maybe oh I could. God. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, when when the moment came, when she she saw... Uh, she, Clea has always... Clea and her partner, Mia, have always come to see um, mine and Dela's holiday shows on tour, So when the moment came, when we were finally like signing the contract and getting ready to go film our scene, I was like, wow, it's all actually happening. I'm going to be in a movie this year. And um, so we filmed that shortly after our holiday tour of so right at the beginning of 2020. Mm. And it was well before we knew the pandemic was going to take the shape that it has. Um, So it was kind of like we we had this movie and, and we knew it was coming out. And then um, and then all our tours got canceled, rightly so. And <laughs> we decided to make the holiday holiday film. And it was kind of like, I guess we're just going to be all over Christmas's ass this year. You know, well, <laughs> we're just going to be all known over. as the Christmas queens this year. Yeah. <laughs> How was Aubrey Plaza? I'm such a fan of Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey is. Re- I mean, she's kind of what you'd expect from Aubrey Plaza. Like she had these moments of saying really weird non sequitur <laughs> things. And, um, but she was a joy to work with. She was really kind. You could tell that she loves drag queens. Cause she kind of always just um, floated over to us. Mm-hmm. Like um, when we were doing the drive-in premiere um, a couple weeks ago, um, we were all on the red carpet, all the cast members that could make it to the premiere. And, um, they said, okay, now everyone assembles so we can take one big cast photo. And I watched as Aubrey Plaza went from the opposite side of the red carpet, just kind of seamlessly migrated her way over to the drag queens. (laughs) And the really sweet thing was when they were like, okay, and now we're going to do a slightly smaller photo with the core players. And, you know, um, Dale and I started walking off the red carpet and Aubrey just went with us. And (laughs) they were like, no, no, Aubrey. Um, (laughs) We need you for this photo. So she was she was really sweet. She was really kind. And then also had those moments of saying something where I was like, I don't fully know where I stand with you. And I love it. (laughs) I love I don't know if she's still on Instagram anymore, but I remember her Instagram handle for a long time was evil hag. Yeah. Even when she was was seven se- or six seasons into Parks and Rec, like a mainstream celebrity. She could easily, it could just be Aubrey Plot, and it was Evil Hag. And I'm just like, that's a cool ass I just want right to get there. to the bottom of I that. I know girl. that's still her, her handle on Twitter, but I think her Instagram handle is now like Plaza de Aubrey. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, oh Evil Hag. I I mean, that right there, that's how I, I felt very connected to her. But we, we worked mostly with um, Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza, and they were both so kind to us, and they both made us feel really, like, welcome on set and, and didn't make us feel intimidated or nervous to, like, you know, be drag queens shoving mics in their faces throughout our scene. Um, but then also Mackenzie Davis and Mary Holland and Dan Levy, who weren't needed that day, they had already wrapped their shooting they just showed up on set to, um, you know, say hi and bye to Kristen and Aubrey, but also to meet Dela and I. Um, so oh, it was, cool. it was just a really like it was just a really friendly cast of wonderful performers, and um, never was there a moment where I felt like, um, you know, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with our last segment called Fuck Talk. And we're back. Can you do, can you say, ah? <laughs> Is it true? Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Wait a minute. Oh, wait. Was that for Dipper? Sorry. <laughs> no, that was for you because you came in with the notes, the vibrato, the delivery, and the witchcraft. We know all of those things light up, so that was an excellent riff. But yeah, what people can't see is that uh, she does have a fog machine going, and she's wearing a witch hat. 
There's a cauldron in front of her. Can I just say one of my favorite moments of because um you you participated in one of the race chaser live streams we did. Um one of my favorite moments is when you Eliza got up and, <laughs> Eliza Shabadoo and the spelling bee, which both Meatball and Jinx here were a part of. Uh when you got up and I think we were connected to your AirPods, so when you went to pee, we heard a very um, audible. Uh, uh, what are they stream. called? A stream. Pee of, stream of pee stream of urine. Um, yeah, and we were all just sitting there like spelling a word, and someone was like, "Who's peeing?" <laughs> that was by design. I could have taken <laughs> the earpods out, but I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yes, I, strategy I, I queen. Did that on a Twitch live stream too, and I took one out and held it a little closer. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get on to our next segment, which is fuck, fuck talk. talk. It's a segment <laughs> where you tell a weird story about a sexual encounter that could be any time, then or then. Oh, see, so now you're addicted to the coffee. Is that what's happening? <laughs> Are you drinking cold brews three or four times a day? Um, yeah, uh, but it's not to replace the alcohol. It's actually, I, I was a Red Bull addict and I would start uh. my day with like two Red Bulls and I <gasps> thought maybe there's a way to get caffeine in my body without all the added chemicals. No, no shade to Red Bull because I still love Red Bull on show days, but um, I decided in my 30s it's time to switch to coffee like a, like a responsible adult <laughs> rather than living my life like, a, like an all-night gamer. <laughs> Speaking about all-night gaming, you like feet? <laughs> <laughs> yes i and why do um, they call sucking on toes shrimp diving i i i guess because they look like little shrimps i don't know little shrimp here, here's the thing is like yes i admit to having a foot fetish yeah but i really don't take it to to extreme fetishy levels i've always said to people who ask about my my interests you know like yes i have a foot fetish but really i just kind of like looking at uh, a barefooted person you know like i I, mm. I enjoy a person to be barefoot i and yeah mm. i occasionally slap myself around with someone's foot you know <laughs> you do the slapping <laughs> oh you know i'm i'm generalizing here but yeah I'll, I'll i'll engage in mild foot play but the thing is for like for someone who my character jinx monsoon is extremely sexually an open book and and i i i feel like the sexual revolution and sexual liberation is extremely important and so for someone who really enjoys talking about sex and and being a sexual person i'm really just kind of uh, i call myself french vanilla you know like one <laughs> step up from vanilla like there's something a little extra special about it like it's got the real vanilla beans in it but otherwise it's just vanilla so like even my fetishes are at a very mild level you know like i <laughs> at that mild level have you had someone be like no not my feet or i want to leave my socks on um i i don't think so no i had a really pleasant experience um Do tell. S- somewhat recently where um well it, it it's funny and pleasant but um you know um it was i i was fooling around with someone and we talked about how we weren't going to have penetrative sex but we could find lots of other ways to have fun and at one point I was just like, um, would you be interested in engaging in some um, mild um, foot worship? <laughs> and and um, he said, wait, me doing that to you? And I was like, oh, no, 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 me doing it to you. And then his response was, yeah, we can definitely do that. Sure, let's go for it. Like really excited. And. And he had never experienced that before, so he was just kind of excited to try something new. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I've been, you know, vocal about having a foot fetish for some time now, only because I thought of some really good jokes about it. But um, <laughs> it's like I'll, I'll share intimate details from my life if I can find a way to make it funny. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it stays private. But um, totally, I've always said that foot fetish for me um many fetishes for different people and especially furries all of these things can be linked back to disney movies um oh yeah <laughs> disney movies are responsible for some of the biggest kinks in 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 a variety of communities and i i, I stand firm on that <laughs> draw me the line to the foot fetish in the disney okay so at a very young age um, before I really had 
sexuality. You know, like I think that young, you know, as a kid, you know what things are interesting to you, even if you're not like feeling sexually turned on by them. Right. And um, so before I had any sexuality or any awareness of who I was as a sexual person, I knew that when Gaston kicked off his boots and that one big toe was Oof. sticking through his sock, I I always say, <laughs> I saw that big toe. I saw Gaston kick off those muddy boots and that one big toe sticking out of his sock. And at like seven years old, I was like, something has changed within me. Something is not the same. <laughs> He says, let me talk Ooh. about those toes. I thought Gaston was really hot. And everyone yeah, was course. like, no, he's a brute. No, he's gross. I was like, yeah, baby. Let me suck on that toe. <laughs> yeah, baby. Wow. Yeah, baby. I have an interesting um, foot story. Foot story, which <laughs> is, so this is from when I first moved to LA. And I met a guy on Craigslist. And I was looking to Meatball Can Fill in the Blank. Suck, suck a dick. dick. Suck right. an old man's dick. That's what Correct. he wants to do. I want to <laughs> suck an old man's dick all day. And so I, I, we like, I think I had posted an ad or he, I forget how the connection happened, but he was like, call me. And I called him and I realized it was a landline. So I called his landline home phone number and we chatted and he sort of played out this scenario. And he was like, I want you to pretend to be my son. And I want you to come home late and I'm going to catch you sneaking into the house and then I'm going to discipline you. But the way I'm going to discipline you is make you suck my dick and make you worship my feet. And so the feet thing was sort of all the way at the end. <laughs> so I was like, cool, I'm down. Let's do it all. Okay, and no then when we started to, when I, like, I went over there probably three or four times total over a couple months. And it became more and more all he wanted was me. He wanted to sit. He had a very tall chair in the living room. It was sort of elevated. And he wanted, all he wanted me to do was like lick his feet, suck his feet, rub them all over my face, like, swallow all the toes toes at once like at one point he was like fucking my mouth with his foot and i was like (laughs) like it was because because not like out of grossness you don't love yourself out of (laughs) out of gag reflex some of the reviews of the show are like you know the final segment is just really dipper talking us how damaged he is with all of the sex stories but to me, it was false advertising because he had he had this amazing dick, and I love sucking his dick, and I wanted to fuck him, but he kept teasing me like we would do that. But he like barely ever let me suck his dick. He he would say like, "Yeah, you can suck my dick, but first the feet." And then when he had his fill, he was like, "We're done." And I felt like I was like, oh, "Why not rude. just get someone who really wants to do?" Feet only. I wanted the whole yeah, package. You want to know why? Because no one else was down to do all the other stuff. He was really no fun. one was down to pretend to sneak into the house. <laughs> I even it. did the sneak into the house in the middle of the day. Yeah, my first question we was when meet he up and- said that you got to pretend to sneak into my house. Did you did you like meet him first? Like, did he open the door and say, "Hi, it's me." Now pretend to sneak in, or did you just like go to a window? No, 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 no. It wasn't like breaking. He like opened the door and he was like, what are you doing coming home so late? Oh. Oh, it started. You know. It started. I thought it was because I what if he sent you to some random person's house no! just to break in. <laughs> and he's like, I promise there's dick here. Um, I don't Anyhow. the only foot story I have is that one that I've already told on this one where the guy asked me to come over and then he came on my feet. And then I he wanted me to stay and like let it dry and glaze over on my toesies. And then he wanted to do it again later. He wanted he to, like, wanted to do multiple up. loads of it's dried like, you know, cum. You know when you make a wax hand where you dip the hand in <laughs> you the know wax? When you, like, he wanted to glue. do that to my foot, but You know when cum. you like put glue on your fingers? Yes! That's very therapeutic. <laughs> well, imagine peeling layers of cum off. Anyhow, that's <laughs> anyway, it. We did it. We made it to the end of the show. Thank you so much for being here, Jinx. Thank you for having me. And, um... Um, I'll I'll give you my my new tagline, Jinx Monsoon. 
Like many people with Jewish heritage who were raised Catholic, I now practice witchcraft. Oh my God, I love that. And for all your witchcraft holiday needs, visit for to buy your own holiday uh, special and check out Happiest Season on Hulu. It's and so support good. the doll. There's you got plenty merch? of holiday-themed drag queen merch there. We've got t-shirts that say everyone is traumatized by Christmas. We've got... Um, <laughs> Christmas ornaments and, you know, um, bringing it full circle. We've got um, Jinx and Dela socks now. So for all you you foot lovers out there, you can now do a little um, foot tease with my face. (laughs) (laughs) Secret, you're like, you guys are having a merch meeting and you're like, what if we do socks? Put my face on everybody's feet across the world. I um yeah I didn't I, I wasn't part of the sock conversation but I was very happy when I saw the socks. Hey. <laughs> uh, well, I look forward to a future, maybe in like a year, when I can see you perform live in a yeah. theater because you are so so good at that. Um, yeah, I really look forward to to coming back to my one true home, the stage, the, <laughs> the stage. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening to Sloppy Seconds. You can follow us on Instagram at Sloppy Pod. Send Make sure to yep. email at Sloppy Seconds Pod at gmail.com or call in with your fuck talk story to 213-536-9180. I don't like the way Jinx was looking at me during that. And you can oh. follow me at Big Dipper on Instagram. I was miles away, honey. I was thinking about my next meeting. Oh, she's booked. <laughs> she's looked at God. You can... Uh, follow me on Twitter at Fat Drag Meatball. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode, which now come out every Tuesday and Friday. Okay, Jinx. Bye. Thank you, Jinx. Bye. <laughs> Doodle doot doot forever dog. To listen to Sloppy Seconds ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Sloppy Seconds is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media. Mom! Hosted by Big Dipper and Meatball. Mixed and mastered by William Pitt. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Our artwork is drawn by Christian Cimarroni. And our theme song was written by Mike Malarkey.